EK Publishing Media presents the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. Episode 9, The Magic Kingdom. With such nice weather, it would be fun to take a train ride, maybe to Disney World with three sisters who are about to find themselves in more trouble as the Magic Kingdom draws them into its grasp. This is part two of the Beyond Ochre story. Go listen to episode 6 of the podcast, The Big Day, if you want to catch up before delving into another hour of the nightmarish world beyond the fallen city of Ochre. 1. Nadia 45 minutes came and went in the grimy Amtrak subway booth. They sat on the leather bar stools next to a bar that had once lay across from an old arcade preceding the mouth of the subway tunnel that had traveled deep into the unknown. It wasn't until the street's topside began to fill with Morlocks carrying bags of loot that the four girls realized no one was coming for them. Nadia wiped her nose as she got up from the barstool. She suppressed her tears and forced her military wall to go into effect. Through keeping emotions in check and staying on course for the mission, she would lead them to victory. The only problem was that her definition of victory was quickly becoming sand in her fingers. Ochre, her home, had fallen. Her father and mother were probably dead or worse. She didn't know what had happened in the last hour, but everything had become royally screwed. Dad's instructions were to follow the train tracks out of Ochre and then follow the East Coast to New York, Nadia said to the others. But, Virginia tried to say something. There was nothing to say. There was no protesting. If they stayed here for much longer, they would be found. Most people didn't think about the subway as an escape option, but it would definitely be on the radar of an intelligent individual. Teresa withdrew a zipper pouch from her bag and unzipped it to withdraw a small hand-rolled cigarette. She put it in her mouth and lit it with a silver lighter someone with the initials TB had given to her. You bitch! Nadia broke form and yelled at her. What? Teresa glared at her as she exhaled a cloud of gray smoke. The freaking world is gone, our freaking parents are gone, and we're about to go into a dark-ass hole in the ground. You guys can go screw yourselves. Mind if I have one of those? Virginia asked in a shaky voice. Not enough to go around, sorry. Teresa pulled on the cigarette and then handed it off to Virginia. She sucked on the end of the already half-depleted cigarette and took a huge drag. Virginia was obviously no stranger to the act of smoking as she lowered the smoldering remains of the cigarette in her fingers to prop her hand on one knee. Let's get to the truck and get going before someone smells you assholes, Nadia said and held her breath as she walked through the stench of tobacco smoke. With her AR-15 at the ready, she quietly climbed to the top of the steps where Dr. Gross's truck was parked. Getting into the truck, she started the engine and drove to the subway ramp. Pulling the truck onto the tracks, she revved the engine through the bounce of the rails. With so few vehicles in regular use, the sound of a truck engine could be heard from blocks away. Driving down the tracks, she parked next to the lounge where Virginia, Teresa, and Kayla were hurrying to gather their things. Kayla and Virginia climbed into the truck bed as Teresa got into the front seat with Nadia. Nadia pinched the remaining tip of Teresa's cigarette to quench the combustion. What makes you think I want you next to me? Looks like we're stuck with each other, Teresa thumbed over her shoulder as a group of Morlock looters jogged onto the tracks far behind them, drawn to the sound of their truck. Nadia gunned the engine and flicked on the headlights as they rumbled down the tracks. They bounced over the rails and descended deeper into the cool of the earth. Even though much of Florida was now underwater or reclaimed by nature, they didn't drive through any standing water or run into any rubble. That meant much of the subway system had survived the blasts of the big day. There were a few cars where people had tried to drive their vehicles through the tunnels before inevitably dying of radiation or lack of food. Nadia was able to navigate around them with ease. 
When nuclear bombs go off, Teresa said in a dull monotone from the passenger seat next to Nadia, they emit a powerful EMP blast. In the beginning of nuclear testing, they found that it was a byproduct of the explosion. They started engineering it into the bombs later. Yeah, they took down the power grid for the entire eastern seaboard first, said Nadia, which meant all the planes, trains, and subway systems were grounded. They continued driving along the rails for another ten minutes until the headlights of the truck landed on a large object blocking the tracks ahead. It appeared to be one of the old sky-blue subway bullet cars. Next to the subway car was a small makeshift campfire and three people who looked ex-military seated around the fire. Next to them was a fourth overweight former marine who was clearly a huffer as he was waving his hands and praising the air like he was in church. Nadia considered taking the offensive, but all four men looked too high on inhalants they had mixed together from medicine cabinets and chemicals from under the old kitchen sinks that had survived in the junk to be of any kind of threat. One of the seated men looked stressed and worried about something as he mopped his forehead and began rocking back and forth. The four girls climbed out of the truck, taking James's bag and the ammunition bag with them. Nadia, with the AR-15 slung over one shoulder, approached the four huffers. The dancing one didn't break stride as he continued praising the heavens silently. Nadia realized from the headphones in his ears tied to an old MP3 player clipped onto his collar that he was listening to music as he danced. She tugged the earphones from his ears. Hey, what'd you do that for? he demanded angrily. The man had large purple lips and a sagging expression that matched his sagging stomach. He wore a leather beret on his head and wore a pair of brown slacks he had found in a mall somewhere. His brown button-up shirt was buttoned incorrectly, making his shirt look awkward on his chest. You look like the only person here with enough energy to give me a straight answer. Nadia glanced at the other three who didn't look coherent enough to stand up, let alone answer questions. Of a simple thing he cannot understand, the man said. Name's Benny the Brain, or at least I used to be. I'm Nadia, this is Teresa, that's Kayla, and she's Virginia. We're just passing through. Is there any way to move this thing since it's blocking the tunnel? We can drive it if you want, Benny said. Nadia cocked a brow at him. Really? Yeah, just gotta remember the password to the terminal. You might say you found a key to every door. What? She asked. Benny beckoned for her to follow. One of the marines got up quickly, but Nadia balled her fists and rounded on him. He gave an intimidated cry and held up his hands to defend himself. That's just Groff, the crime dog, man. He ain't gonna bother you, said Benny. No sudden movements, assholes. Nadia glared at the three men behind them. I just, stammered the man Benny had called Gruff the Crime Dog. We need our stash, man. Oh, ah, ah, oh, man. He scratched his arms, his teeth chattering as he sucked air nervously. He wore only his gray t-shirt and the digital blue camo pants he had been given by the military. Oh, Gruff, bro, Benny said. More's coming, brother, more's coming. Don't you worry about that, my brother. What were you going to show me? Nadia asked. Oh, yeah, it keeps changing fast and it don't last long. Benny answered as he walked past Nadia to the booth on the opposite side of the subway bullet car that was sealed and locked. He flicked a switch on the wall to show a narrow room full of computer terminals that powered on. Stand by, connecting, flashed on each of the screens in the office with the glass windows. Wow, you can actually power this thing up? Nadia asked as she stepped into the office. I've done it before, Benny said. I just can't remember the daggone password. Nadia leaned over the computer keyboard as she looked at the computer screen. It just says standby connecting. She looked over at him. Yeah, hang on, Benny said with his tongue hanging out of his fat lips. He pointed at the keyboard. Press that bottom key to the left of your hand. No, not that one, the other one. The other, other one. That one, yeah. After I cut the power, press that button and I'll turn it back on. 
Nadia did as she was instructed. Benny flicked the power back on. Manual override activated, flashed upon the screen. Please insert password. I see, Nadia sighed. I've cracked it before, Benny said. I was high as a kite, but I got it. Got to see all kinds of cool maps and stuff the computer has stored in there. Lots of goodies if you can figure it out. And you don't remember the password at all? Nadia asked. Be a poor man if he never saw an eagle fly. Benny shook his head. 2. Teresa So apparently, unless we can get Benny the brain here high as a bird, said Nadia after she returned from the office terminals, we're up shit creek without a paddle. I know how we can get high, said Gruff. I was being facetious, Nadia said. No one's getting high on my watch, and for God's sake, Teresa, put out that cigarette. Teresa flared her eyebrows and tugged her hands from the pockets of Tyler's big jacket before stubbing out the cigarette on the wall behind her. She put the remains in her zipper pouch and pocketed it. Kayla, Nadia called from next to the subway bullet car. You are always a better locksmith than me. Any way to jimmy this door open? Maybe we can shift the thing into neutral and push it out of the way somehow. Hold on, let me get those magic locksmith tools I keep stored in my ass. Kayla crossed her arms. I am sick of the attitude from both of you. Nadia looked between Teresa and Kayla. Now, in case you bitches didn't notice, a bunch of those assholes topside saw us come down here. What are Morlocks known to do? Say it with me now. Morlocks attract more Morlocks. Are we on the same page? Good. Kayla, at least come look at the door real quick. Kayla uncrossed her arms and stepped forward to examine the subway door. Teresa nudged Gruff before whispering in his ear. Where's this stash? I think if I have to spend another ten minutes with her, I might lose my mind. I, I can show you on a map, Gruff said. Teresa looked over at Nadia before withdrawing an old mobile smartphone she had fixed and powered it on. Its previous owner had installed a Maps app on the device that depicted a 3D landscape of the pre-bombed United States. Teresa had spent months admiring the world through the app, looking at all the winding roads and passages across the North American continent, getting lost in the mountains and feeling the insignificance of how small she was in comparison to the rest of the world. She zoomed in on the mouth of the Amtrak subway station. This is where we are, technically, she said. Well, do you have a freaking air wedge? Nadia demanded of Kayla behind them. Gruff's eyes were saucers as he looked at the strange backlit device in her hands. The guy had been huffing for so long, everything looked like magic. He zoomed out on the device and tapped on a house just a few blocks from the Amtrak station. Teresa starred the location before stashing the phone in her pocket. That's Crawdad's old place. He was a gearhead, liked to fix old motorbikes and build stuff out of lawnmower parts. Good guy. Disappeared a few months back. Morlocks, man. You're sure the stuff is in there? Teresa asked. How do we know someone else didn't steal it? It's behind the bookcase in the garage, and the garage is locked. Morlocks are too stupid to get inside. Keys in the planter by the front door to the house. What are you two whispering about over there? Nadia asked. Jesus Christ, can you stop breathing down our necks, Mom? Teresa immediately regretted the remark. Nadia looked stung as she tried to come up with a response. She eventually closed her mouth and turned her back on Teresa and Gruff. Be back in a few minutes. Teresa clapped Gruff on the shoulder, which almost knocked him down. Teresa crept over to the truck and climbed into the driver's seat without closing the driver's door. Biting her bottom lip, she turned the ignition to the truck, starting the engine that roared throughout the subway around them. Nadia turned around, outrage and fury filling every part of her face within the truck's headlights as Teresa gunned the truck into reverse while pulling the door closed. She rumbled up the driveway with one hand on the passenger seat as she craned her neck to look behind her. 
Occasionally, she rammed a corner into the brick wall side of the subway channel. Eventually, Nadia stopped chasing in order to catch her breath, but Teresa wasn't looking forward. She backed over three different scrawny Morlocks that thought they might get the jump on the girls as she passed by a line of cars on the side of the truck. The truck hiccuped over them without issue as she ascended through the subway channel. Without looking, Teresa drew the pouch from her bag and tugged the cigarette she had started earlier from its placement before sticking the clean end between her lips. As Teresa backed into the evening twilight that had fallen across the land and came to a halt on the track's topside, she lit the cigarette to life and breathed a plume of smoke through her nostrils. She put the truck in drive and pulled up the ramp and onto the road outside the Amtrak subway station. Teresa withdrew her smartphone and plugged in the navigation to the address. There was no GPS, so she had to manually position the starting point at the subway station to her selected start address. Following the map's instructions, Teresa growled through the streets of Ochre. A few Morlocks tried to stand in her path. When they realized that was a quick trip to being flattened even, they jumped out of the way. It was odd to see Morlocks roaming Ochre when it had been a safe zone for so long. No one was a stranger to Morlock attacks, but their city had never been overrun like this before. Houses all over town were blazing as Teresa crept past in the truck. Her heart beat loudly in her chest as she turned onto the vacant street that had not yet been looted by the Morlocks. She killed the engine a few houses down, stashed the roast of her cigarette on the dashboard, and hurried across the lawn only to see a group of cackling marines exiting one of the houses across the street. She was able to drop behind the skeletal remains of a large bush in the yard as they strolled down the road away from her. She watched them walk past the truck. One of them, the biggest jackwagon Teresa had ever seen, stopped by the back left of the truck, looked left and right, and then rammed his hunting knife straight through the tire. The truck slowly deflated at a crooked angle as Teresa dropped her face into the grass. Once the marines were out of sight, she got to her feet and jogged across the lawn toward the house Gruff had starred on the map. She found the key under the planter just as Gruff had mentioned and was able to get into the house and close the door behind her. She took a second to stand in the darkness to conclude that no one else was inside. She turned on her phone light while keeping her hand over the face to prevent anyone from seeing it outside. The garage door was just to the left of the threshold opposite to the kitchen. It had a double-sided keyed deadbolt. Most doors don't have that, which made this door particularly odd. Teresa put the key in the key face and unlatched the deadbolt. She pushed the door open to reveal a small garage that was chock full of plastic dirt bike parts. In the middle of the garage was a parked custom-made dirt bike with a nearly empty bottle of lawnmower gasoline sitting next to it. Voices echoed from outside as the house across the street went up in flames. The light of it filled the living room and kitchen across from the garage. People howled as they ran through the streets beyond the window in the living room. She needed to hurry and get out of here. Teresa entered the garage and found the large, heavy bookcase. Piled on the shelves haphazardly were hundreds of old books and magazines someone had collected post-nuclear destruction. She pulled the shelves back and saw a linen bag full of huffers and huffer paraphernalia. There were hundreds of inhalant canisters with broken seals filling the bottom of the bag. These were the medical inhalants from a hospital the boys had looted long ago. Idiots. Teresa sacked up the junk and stuffed it into her bag before she turned to look at the dirt bike. At first, she was confused about where the gas would go before she saw the big plastic tank in front of the seat. The tank was already half full, but Teresa emptied the last of the gas can into the tank before sealing it. They had learned how to ride motorcycles as kids when their father fixed them up. Teresa had to find the switch allowing the gas to flow, turn the choke, and then it would be ready to roll. She unlocked the garage door and lifted it to see the large, empty, and rusty old pool in the backyard. 
She climbed onto the dirt bike with her bag in her lap before dropping the clutch and turning the handle. The bike whined to life pathetically, popping and backfiring as she rolled it into motion. She drove down the driveway and entered the streets, slipping between a pack of confused Morlocks as she stopped next to her now-defeated truck. Grabbing the roach of her cigarette from earlier off the dashboard, Teresa took a moment to light it in the corner of her mouth as the Morlocks jogged into motion behind her. Twisting the handle, she popped and whined forward on the dirt bike. She turned onto the street nearby as she made for the Amtrak subway station. 3. Kayla Kayla had tried to open the subway door on Nadia's orders with a piece of steel rebar. It hadn't worked, and she was pretty sure she tripped the emergency lockout system in the process. That meant they would have to open the door via the computer after giving the subway bullet car power. There was no other way inside. Damn it! Nadia balled her fists. I'm gonna kill that bitch, so help me God, Kayla, you'd better have opened that door. I tripped the ELS. Kayla held up the piece of steel rebar that Nadia snatched from her as she walked past. I'm so sick, began Nadia as she climbed on top of the nose of the bullet train car, straddling the front of the train to get access to the window, of one step forward and two steps back. She brought the rebar down on the window several times, but she didn't even scrape the glass. It's industrial and bulletproof, so yeah. Kayla sighed from down below as Nadia lowered the helmet of the combat suit she was wearing to the front of the train. She lifted her head and turned to look at Kayla. Everyone looked around, hearing the whine of some despicable machine echoing in the distance. Benny the Brain had plugged his earphones back in and was dancing across the subway platforms like he was on stage at a huge concert with thousands of people cheering him on. Nadia slipped off the front of the train and grabbed the AR-15 from the side of the subway bullet car. She popped her shoulder and neck as she approached the mouth of the tunnel to greet whoever was driving that god-awful sound toward them. Kayla watched her thumb the safety off and then dropped to one knee with the butt of the rifle braced under her arm. Kayla had always admired her older sister for being so confident and cool in a crisis, at least for the most part, but Kayla herself was never so confident in her actions as Nadia seemed to be naturally. Virginia Reeves emerged from the terminal booth where she'd been asleep to see what the racket was. A minute later, Teresa, galloping down the rails of the track on the cheapest thrown-together POS dirt bike the three of them had ever seen, screeched to a halt before the group of them. She killed the engine and climbed off the bike before turning the gas switch. I hate to say it, said Kayla, but you got ripped off on your trade. That truck was light years better than this pile of crap. Tell me how you could disappear for 40 minutes and come back with this stupid thing. Nadia put the safety back on and lowered the rifle to the box next to her. I don't care, but you're welcome, Benny, Teresa said as she dismounted the dirt bike. Benny didn't hear her as he danced in the subway terminal with his back to them to some techno trap music. He was waving his big hips and rocking his shoulders up and down as he swished back and forth smoothly. Teresa withdrew an inhaler and a cartridge to give to Benny before Nadia stopped her. What do you think you're doing? You can't give that to him. He said he can get us on that train with this. Who are we to stop him? Teresa asked. Who are we to enable him? Nadia said. If you think giving him that inhaler is the solution to our problems, then you're the one that's delusional. I slept with Chris Walters when you got drunk and passed out on your birthday two months ago, Teresa said. The silence that filled the underground subway couldn't compare to the shade of red-hot rage on Nadia's face as Teresa pushed past her toward Benny. Nadia's eyes moved to the AR-15 on the box within reach. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Kayla got up and ran to put herself between Nadia and Teresa as literal murder filled Nadia's eyes. A snarl began to form on Nadia's lips as she shoved Kayla back and walked to the other side of the subway platform. 
She crossed her arms and glared into the fire next to the near comatose huffer sitting around the fire. Oh, babe, you the best! Benny threw his arms around Teresa. One of the huffers pointed at Nadia and clapped before clutching his stomach with a permanent smile on his face. She was about to tell the guy to screw off when he and his friend were suddenly lit up with machine gun bullets. Nadia dove for the rifle on the box as Gruff and Virginia hurried into the terminal booth with Benny and Teresa. In here! Benny yelled. Come on! Kayla yelled as she grabbed Nadia's arm. Nadia grabbed Kayla's hand and turned with the AR-15 in hand to fire at their assailant. There was a huge robot on a caterpillar track aiming two mechanized machine gun turrets at them. Destroy! Destroy! Target acquired! Destroy! It yelled in a mechanical voice. Nadia pulled the trigger but the safety was on so nothing happened. She raised her hand and managed to deflect a spray of machine gun fire as the rifle fell onto her chest. The combat suit had saved her life once again as Kayla dragged her up the steps where she was able to regain her footing and scramble into the terminal booth with the others. Virginia Reeves slid the booth door closed and latched it as bullets peppered the door outside. Destroy! 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 The robot voice yelled over and over again as it waited on the other side of the door. Between Kayla and Teresa, Benny the Brain put the inhaler to his lips, pressed the button on the back of the device, and took a single deep breath. 4. Benny. Benny was aware that someone was shaking him aggressively, but he'd slipped into a daze. I've seen fire rain from the sky, he drawled. I told you not to give him that junk, Nadia yelled out of Benny's perception. She had a cute body in that combat suit, Benny had to admit, but she sure did talk a lot. It was killing his buzz. Softer than a lullaby, Benny said. Come on, let me try to figure this stupid thing out, Nadia said. Shut up, Nadia, Kayla yelled. He's trying to say something. Destroy, 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 a voice yelled over everyone. Oh, seriously? Now you're giving into this too? Come on, hit that stupid switch for me, Nadia ordered. Benny opened his eyes and lifted both hands triumphantly. Colorado! Nadia dropped her face into her hand as she waited for the computers to start up. Okay, try in Colorado, she said sardonically. And that's a big fat negative. I'll try with all caps. No dice. First letter caps. Sorry, Grandpa, I think your card's been revoked. Benny's fists unrolled and he pointed directly at Nadia. Capital J, capital D, all lowercase, all together, Rocky Mountain High. JD, Rocky Mountain High? Nadia stared at the screen and lifted her hands. What the hell? The computer continued into the subway bullet train's manual override mainframe. Wow, Teresa said over Nadia's shoulder. It can take us straight to Manhattan. Go USTS 2300. Activating. Nadia looked beyond the robot that was still yelling at them over and over to see the subway door open. Okay, I can start the countdown for one minute. Any plans for how to get past the homicidal robot standing between us and the subway car? Not it, Teresa yelled. Oh man, oh man. Gruff was rubbing his face and scratching his arms like crazy. I don't want to die, man. Not today. I don't want to die at all, but I really don't want to die today. Guys. Nadia stood tall and pressed the button to activate the train. I got this. Train activated. A woman's voice spoke through the subway platform over the intercom outside. Train departing for New York City in one minute. You didn't bother running this plan by us? Kayla asked. Nadia shrugged. I'm the most well-protected, so I assume I'll run at the robot while you guys get on the train. I should be able to get on after you. That's maybe the worst plan I've ever heard, Teresa said matter-of-factly. Thirty seconds to departure. What a bold statement coming from a total slut like, <laughs> you know what? Nadia turned to face Teresa. 
Sleeping with Chris didn't make you a slut. It made you the queen of the assholes. Here's your crown, bitch. Good luck. Nadia readied the AR-15 and pulled herself out of the chair to the door to the terminal booth. What the hell do you think you're doing? Benny grabbed Nadia's arm and shoved her with superhuman strength away from the door that she had been guarding, sending her flailing into a pile of boxes on the other side of the booth. He slid the booth door open along its rusty track and stepped out before the rest of them could do anything. Go! Virginia yelled. Target acquired. The S&D bot issued, but Benny launched himself at the robot as it fired on Virginia. She had already climbed onto the bullet train at the platform as Benny danced with the S&D bot while it filled his insides with bullets. Gruff followed, Virginia and Kayla hurrying after them with her father's bag over one shoulder and Nadia's ammunition bag in her other hand. Teresa jumped onto the train as Nadia climbed on behind her with a horrified expression on her face. The subway door closed and the train sped away from the platform as Benny slumped off the robot that was still issuing commands into the empty darkness as Benny's world faded to black. 5. Gruff Holy crap, man! Gruff yelled as they rode the train through the darkness toward New York City. Did you guys see Benny get lit up? His eyes were wide, but this time they looked normal. Yeah, said Kayla. We all saw. We got the stash, right? Gruff looked around for Teresa, but she had already gone into a different train car. I guess that's a yes? He scratched the constant itchies on his arm as he tried to go after her. Someone grabbed him by his shirt and wheeled him around. He saw it was Nadia. She fixed him with her violent, green-blue eyes as he looked back at her in terror. She scared the living daylights out of him. I think you've had all the inhalants you need for this lifetime, bro, Nadia said and pushed him into one of the seats nearby. Why don't you stay here so I can keep an eye on you in case you turn out to be untrustworthy? Lay off, Nadia, Kayla said as she sat in the seats across from them to put her feet up. Ah, oh, finally, we can relax and travel in style. I know I could use a full night's sleep. Virginia said as she curled in the seat behind Kayla. Gruff was itching to get up and leave, but Nadia threw a blanket at him. I'm watching you, and I sleep with one eye open. He lifted the blanket that was draped over his scrawny arms and sat with his bony spine poking into the metal wall of the subway car. What had he gotten himself into? 6. Virginia When Virginia woke up at least four hours later, the train had stopped. Someone was snoring loudly in regular five-second intervals. There was also a strange beep that issued every 30 seconds. She stretched, feeling her back pop from the uncomfortable positioning on the metal seats. Sitting up, she looked down the car to see Kayla with her face plastered against the window and Nadia's armored legs draped over the aisle. It wasn't Kayla doing the snoring, which made Virginia smile, and then she realized that Gruff was missing. Getting up, Virginia slid into the aisle and got to her feet, stretching with full freedom. She sighed and walked toward the other train car. She slid open the door and stepped into the next car that was devoid of all passengers. There were two more cars, but they were empty as well. Both Teresa and Gruff were MIA. That wasn't a good sign at all. As she made her way back to the main subway car, she assumed the two had gone out for a smoke. Maybe Gruff had talked her into giving him some of his stash since Nadia was crashed out and couldn't bust their balls. Just as expected, the train door was standing open behind Nadia's motionless form. Nadia! Virginia shook Nadia's leg. Ah, uh, hmm? Nadia turned her cheek and flared her still sleeping eyes as her snoring ceased. Hey, Nadia, Virginia said loudly, inspiring Nadia to sit up in her seat. Huh? What's up? She took a deep breath and wiped the sleep sand out of her eyes. I hate to bug you, but the train door is wide open, and Teresa and Gruff are gone, Virginia said. That woke Nadia up 100%. She swore as she got up and picked up and set the rifle on the seat. 
She grabbed two magazines from the ammunition bag and locked them on a magnetized strip on each hip. Kayla suddenly woke up at the commotion from Nadia. What's going on? Our dumb donut of a sister left with a desperate drug addict that we only met yesterday. She withdrew a Beretta 92FS that had belonged to Dr. Gross, loaded a magazine into the bottom and shoved it into the sidearm holster of the suit. Nadia rested the rifle on her shoulder as she zipped up the ammunition bag with one hand and then laced it over her shoulder. And your first instinct is to arm yourself to the teeth and go chasing after her? Kayla laughed. She probably went to smoke a cigarette and the guy went with her. That was my thought, Virginia added groggily. Let's go find out, Nadia said. Grab Dad's pack. We're moving. Can I stay here? Virginia asked. No. Nadia descended the steps and crunched over the gravel as her head moved past the window alongside the subway car outside. Virginia and Kayla gathered the last of their things and disembarked the train to follow Nadia up the steps to the topside subway terminal. Warm morning Florida sunlight greeted them as they ascended to the empty subway ticket terminal. Faded Mickey Mouse and Disney logos were everywhere. A tattered poster of Welcome to Disney's The Magic Kingdom was torn in half from the overhead in front of them. They made their way down the covered sidewalk toward a massive circular disc with Cinderella's castle etched into the emblem. Good, we didn't even make it out of Florida, Nadia said sarcastically as they surveyed the image on the ground. Damn it, Teresa, where are you? Behind them, the whole of the dilapidated Magic Kingdom Disney theme park was glowing in the morning sunlight against the clear blue sky. Kayla made a disgusted sound and stepped back. Nadia and Virginia turned to see dozens of black snakes slithering over the warm sidewalk between empty ticket booths that once saw thousands of visitors a day. Nadia ignored the snakes and started toward the entrance to the park. We're not really going in there, are we? Kayla asked. Do you see your idiot sister anywhere? Nadia asked without turning around. There's no way she didn't go to that stupid castle. Virginia didn't know very much about the Wilkinsons, but she knew Teresa was obsessed with cartoons and would frequently doodle anime characters on her notepad while the teacher spoke in class. Other than having known Kayla throughout the years, and knowing that no one would ever score higher on their marksman trials than Nadia, those were the stereotypical details that came to mind at everyone's first thought of the sisters. It did seem logical that, out of the three of them, Teresa would be the most likely to get lost in a post-nuclear apocalypse Disney world. Nadia walked between the empty booths, stepping between the snakes that seemed as interested in them as they were of the snakes. There was a large planter with the outline of Mickey Mouse's face and a mural design that was supposed to be colored with specific flowers, but it had been quite a long time since flowers bloomed around Disney World. An old western-style building with a clock on the top tower marked the entrance to the park. The words and faded and tarnished paint over the building read, The Magic Kingdom. The three of them walked under the rusty aluminum overhead as they passed the main street station that had been looted to the building scraps long ago. It looked as though a giant makeshift track had been built over the station. Pillars of cars had been stacked to create the track's support beams. The course of it rounded the edge of the park to their left and traveled to the speedway near the Astro Orbiter and Space Mountain themes on their right. The three girls made their way through the snake-riddled streets, past a vacant flagpole that towered over the roads as they made their way toward Cinderella's castle far in the distance beyond the avenues of gift shops and restaurants in the old western-style architecture. Nadia paused next to a bronze park bench where a man with glasses, presumably Walt Disney in his youth, was seated next to a statue of an early depiction of Minnie Mouse. Nadia looked out through the different empty streets as wind blew the occasional piece of trash or paper across the corridor. The snakes writhed and wriggled through the roads in lines. They didn't seem to have any destination other than getting from one murky green body of water to the next. 
I don't like this. Nadia heaved a frustrated sigh. Should I start yelling? Kayla asked. Not yet, Nadia said and continued down the road toward the castle at the far end of the street. Virginia followed, opting to follow the wooden walkway under the transom rounding the buildings on the left to keep the sun from further baking a sunburn into her neck. The wooden panels creaked underfoot, catching Nadia's attention. She ignored Virginia and pressed onward. Movement caught Virginia's eye from inside one of the gift shops, a figure in the shadows. She stopped in the doorway to an old ice cream cafe and peered over the grimy black and white 80s style floor. The ice cream display case was empty as Virginia looked through it into the dark back kitchen behind the cafe floor. She looked up to see a dirty Mickey Mouse suit slouched against the wall. She crunched over broken glass from the window as she approached the permanently smiling suit. Grinning, Virginia touched the soft texture of the uniform. Terror iced to her core as a white cartoonish hand flew to her mouth as the suit embraced and held her tightly to its chest. 7. Kayla Cinderella's castle was just a block away and towering over the avenue ahead intimidatingly. Its construction had fallen into disrepair as blue panels on the tower turrets had blown off in the storms following the nuclear blasts. Kayla glanced over to make sure Virginia was still behind them. She stopped when she realized she wasn't. Nadia turned at Kayla's attention. What the? Nadia scoffed. She was behind us like two minutes ago. The two searched up and down the block and didn't find her anywhere. Guess we're not cool enough for the party, Kayla said. Guess not, Nadia said, frustrated. Hey everybody, Kayla yelled. Where'd you go? Her voice echoed for a second through the park, but no one answered. Why do we even care? Nadia asked. We can't just leave them, Kayla said. I guess joining them is our only option. Go on, wander off on your own, and maybe one of us can figure out what's going on, Nadia said. I swear, said Kayla. This whole trip you've been at nothing but 11 on the bitch scale. Nadia ignored her. I guarantee this has something to do with Teresa's unrelenting curiosity. The two continued down the avenue and entered the plaza preceding the castle where Walt Disney was holding Mickey Mouse's hand and raising a wave as if to show how iconic their collective influence would inevitably be on the entire world. That was the idea anyway. Now, as he surveyed a figurative sea of children with the mouse's palm in hand, an empty and forgotten field is all that his gesture fell upon. Do you see it? Kayla asked, pointing to the walkway leading up to the castle beyond the statue of Mickey and Walt Disney. Nadia moved her head and squinted. She closed her eyes and heaved a heavy sigh at the sight of Teresa's lavender corduroy cap crumpled on its side on the ramp. Sometimes I hate being right. Nadia thumbed the safety off and kept her rifle at the ready. All right, dickwads, we're coming out and we want our friends, she roared. Literally seconds later, Nadia scooted back into Kayla as hundreds of different character suits began emerging from every shadowy corner of the plaza. They slowly converged on the circular area as Nadia raised the rifle. Don't, Kayla put a hand on the rifle. One of them might be Teresa or Virginia. What? Nadia snapped at her. We don't know, what if someone dressed them up as a suit or something? Kayla shrugged. You watch too many movies on the archives, Kayla. Nadia trained her sights on the different Goofies, Donald Ducks, and Minnie Mouses as they climbed over the hedges and jogged from the gift shops toward their position. Nadia rotated around to find a good target, but there were too many. Even with both magazines and the loaded Beretta, there was no way she'd be able to clear out all of them with confidence. Welcome to the kingdom of tomorrow! Someone yelled through a loudspeaker as the suits continued encircling Kayla and Nadia. 
The sound of a powerful internal combustion engine cut through the former quiet like a chainsaw as a Mickey suit from the Sorcerer's Apprentice rode on the hood of the craziest-looking thrumming diesel truck engine. The suits cleared a space as the truck with exhaust tubes jutting from all over the engine rolled through the plaza toward them. The Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey hopped off the trunk to stand before Nadia and Kayla with the loudspeaker in hand. You two look like you could use some fun! Turn those frowns upside down because the show's about to begin! Nadia looked ready to explode. What the actual f- An air horn cut over the gyrating diesel engine and interrupted Nadia. Ah ah ah, not in front of the kitties. The leader Mickey wagged a finger at Nadia as several armed suits surrounded and took the AR-15 rifle away from her. They made off with the two magazines as well. Nadia and Kayla stood back to back, completely disarmed. Nice knowing you, Kayla said. The suits immediately tied their hands with rope and pushed them into motion toward the eastern walkways of the park. If you see Teresa in the afterlife, said Nadia, tell her to consider her ass haunted. 8. Teresa Teresa usually had a hard time sleeping at night. She could easily sleep every hour that the sun remained suspended in the sky overhead, but at night her mind played on repeat and kept her wired constantly. Regardless, she tried to get some rest as she nestled between the seats of the farthest car to the back. She had tried to crack a window so she could smoke, but it was impossible as the windows were only there for scenic purposes. Crossing her arms and reclining into the seats of the subway car, Teresa sat in thought as she waited for the quench of rest to take hold. She had begun to drift when the subway train suddenly slowed. It glided soundlessly to a halt. Teresa saw a familiar set of circular shadows and sat up. She turned and saw the eerie, grinning expression of a Mickey Mouse face in the dimness beyond the window. Its face was lit by the floor lights surrounding the subway car. It took Teresa a moment to realize that the suit wasn't inhabited by anyone. It was just hanging from a post. She got to her feet with her bag on her hip and passed between the subway cars to the front. It had only been an hour, but Nadia, Virginia, and Kayla were completely passed out. Gruff's head turned as she slipped past him. <laughs> He huffed, but Teresa held a finger to her lips for silence before beckoning him to follow. She quietly stepped over Nadia's legs and resisted the urge to use her diary pen to draw a penis on her forehead. They had known one another for long enough to know that Nadia was the heaviest sleeper of the three sisters and couldn't notice the feeling of a pen most of the time. She had inherited her father's sleep apnea and had snored like a beast since she was eleven years old. The need for a cigarette inspired her to abandon the childish idea. Teresa helped Gruff over Nadia as she and Kayla were asleep in the seats by the door to the subway car. She pressed the open door button and bit her lip as the door gave a gentle sss before sliding out and open. Nadia's aggressive continuing snores assured them that their commotion had gone unnoticed. Teresa and Gruff exited the train and walked toward the darkened terminal booth that looked identical to the one in Ochre. Teresa plugged a cigarette into the corner of her mouth before lighting the end with Tyler's lighter as she tried the door to the booth. It was locked. The relief of tobacco hit her lungs and caused her shoulders to relax. She pressed her face to the grime-covered window next to the door and peered inside. On the computer terminal opposite to the door, the words flashed on the screen, Power error, please restart. A beeping noise filled the subway corridor every 30 seconds as Teresa looked up and down the gaping darkness in either direction around the subway train cars. Gruff continued to scratch his arms next to her. She motioned at him with her chin to follow as she fished in her bag for another inhaler and cartridge like the one she had given Benny. Teresa hated it when her sisters saw her cry, which is why she had immediately isolated herself from the others after Benny had sacrificed himself for them. 
He was so lovable and fun in the short time she had known him, it was hard to believe he was dead now. He had given himself for their survival without any reason at all whatsoever, and to protect Nadia of all people. It was so selfless. Teresa couldn't fathom how a person could accept such a hand from the fates so readily. She loaded the inhaler as they climbed the steps to the early morning twilight surrounding the subway platform. When the two reached the top of the steps, she gave it to Gruff. This is for today. No more until the day after tomorrow, got that? Gruff blinked rapidly, scratching his arms as he bit his chapped lower lip to shreds. When Teresa held out the inhaler to him, he took it without question. He swallowed hard and put the inhaler to his lips. Teresa watched him impartially as he pressed the button on the inhaler and took a deep breath from the device. His eyes rolled into the back of his head as he held it for as long as he could. Clouds of steam billowed from his nose and mouth as he breathed out the chemical. Thanks. He took a deep breath of fresh air and lowered his arms to his side as he stared ahead in a daze. Other than his wildly dilated eyes, his composure was almost normal. Wanna go crash Cinderella's castle? Teresa drawled. Okay, Gruff said eagerly. The two walked through the Placid Magic Kingdom theme park. The snakes had not yet begun to emerge as the sun was still climbing to the east. They walked until they stood before Cinderella's castle with its many towers and steeple points piercing the sky. Gruff wore a permanent grin as Teresa smiled. They were about to climb the ramp and explore the eerie portrait halls of the castle when three people in old-style Mickey Mouse costumes jumped out from the mouth of the castle with their arms spread. Am I high or is this really happening? Gruff asked. Pretty sure it's really happening, Teresa concurred. A costume of Mickey from the Sorcerer's Apprentice emerged from the castle, his permanent Mickey Mouse grin fixed upon them and no one in particular. He was draped in his blue stars and moons cloak with his arms spread like the others. Somehow the motion of suits moving at them with their arms out was far more terrifying than if they'd just walked up normally. It didn't cushion the shock to see dirt, grime, and blood staining most of the suits that were suddenly all around them. Everyone always has to see the castle, the Mickey said in a gruff man's voice. Especially all the pretty girls who are kids at heart. Princesses until the day you die, the man in the suit laughed without moving or lowering his arms. Teresa took off her lavender hat and felt the cool breeze in her hair. As someone in a Donald Duck suit tied her hands behind her back, her hat tumbled to the edge of the ramp. Gruff's hands were tied and the two were led back down the ramp and toward the western part of the park. They were marched past the haunted mansion across from Tom Sawyer Island. The murky green waters surrounding the island and meandering through the park were swimming with black snakes. Teresa's stomach churned at the sight of thousands of wriggling crawlies flooding from the brush and over the concrete walkways as the sun's rays began to warm the land. Oh man, oh man, oh man, what's gonna happen to us? What's gonna happen to us? Gruff's hands opened and closed in front of Teresa as they followed their captors through the park. The big Thunder Mountain Railroad peeked over the treetops as they approached the rocky orange cliffs of the setting that looked the least affected by the blasts that rocked the rest of the world. They walked under the wooden display markers and climbed the makeshift ramps that had definitely not been built by the park's original owners leading up to the railroads that were cut into the mountainside. Teresa saw the makeshift speedway track that had been thrown together traveling behind the mountain and around the edge of the theme park as they were led to the highest point overlooking the murky green rivers of America below. The people in the different Disney suits began crowding the walkways below and on the other side of the river. As they got together they began clapping their soft cartoon hands and cheering. The man in the Sorcerer Mickey costume waved and blew air kisses at them as they were parked on the mountain ledge. The Sorcerer Mickey produced a loudspeaker megaphone and began speaking. Good morning, everyone! Isn't it a great day to be alive in the greatest place on Earth? 
The costumed patrons cheered in unison down below. This does not bode well. Teresa shook her head as they saw the scaly black hump of something enormous dip and disturb the surface of the waters below as it traveled to the green waters surrounding them. Are we ready to begin? A roar of disapproval flooded through the crowd of suits. Is that a no? He asked with his hand to his large black ear as one of the Sailor Donald Duck suits jogged up the path. He ran all the way up to the Sorcerer Mickey Mouse suit nearby. More people just showed up at the subway, the guy in the suit whispered. The guy in the Mickey Mouse suit put a big white gloved hand to his mouth and lowered the loudspeaker to his side. Back to positions, everyone, he whispered loudly as the crowd dispersed into the different nooks and crannies of the park. Not a peep, you two, he growled at Teresa and Gruff. 9. Gruff The only silver lining to this nightmarish experience was that he was able to enjoy being high while it was happening. He was a tugging in his chest. Life was pulling him along and he was sitting in the back seat as events unfolded through glass windows far ahead of him. The relaxation in his chest mixed with the warmth of the morning sun on his face, making him yawn sleepily. Gruff felt like he could sleep for the next week and it would be fine, or hell, he could die now and it would be fine. Why not? Now is as good a time as any, right? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die, he realized. He had so much to do and see, so many good highs left to fulfill. Being a huffer was only half of his life's goal. He knew at some point he planned to make a full 180 and get clean, get off the inhalants and maybe marry a pretty girl who could accept him for who he was. He liked Teresa. She seemed cool. Maybe they could get married one day and live happily ever after. Unfortunately, as they stood on the ledge of the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, overlooking the defeated ruins of the Disney World Magic Kingdom theme park, he realized that all of those dreams were very unlikely to come to fruition at this point. He understood this, and yet his high kept him chugging along. His mind ran like a freight train, putting words together for no reason at all. Chuck, truckaluck, bowcraft, wormwood, crocodile patties, patties. Now that was a funny word, patties. Hey, Teresa, Gruff smiled. She glanced at him hopelessly. Patties. He enunciated the word clearly. She swallowed hard and licked her lips as she re-examined their situation once more. Hey, Teresa. What? She said, reflecting that sharp tone that her older sister used in every sentence. If we live through this, want to get married? Gruff asked. I'm not saying no, Teresa answered. Is that a yes? He smiled foolishly. I'm not saying no, she reaffirmed. Get us out of here and I'll think about it. Pipe down, you two, the man in the Sorcerer Mickey suit whispered. I'll be back in a few minutes. He descended the ramp that was covered with orange sand before disappearing behind the stalk remains of the palm trees that used to shade the park. Ten minutes later, Virginia Reeves was led by a Mickey in a goofy suit through the red-painted concrete paths to the makeshift ramps leading to the cliff ledge. Gruff heard the unmistakable sound of a diesel engine before Nadia and Kayla were brought up to meet them. Cool, you found us, Teresa said as Nadia and Kayla were parked next to Virginia. Get bent, Nadia growled. This is all your fault, you know. You and that stupid junkie Huffer. Hey man, that's only partly true, Gruff whined. This is only half of my- Shut up, I don't care, said Nadia. The Sorcerer Mickey Mouse costume stood on the ledge and spread his arms as he spoke to the megaphone. Okay, if we're finished with all interruptions, we can begin the ceremony. Is everybody ready? He called. All the suits on Tom Sawyer Island and flooding the pathways below jumped up and down and cheered. Okay, enough. Nadia stepped forward. Oh, look at that. We have a willing volunteer, it seems. 
no, we're done playing this game. Now, you'll play mine if you don't want to get kicked off the ledge. Oh, you silly, silly, silly girl. Shall we begin? The sorcerer Mickey asked. Nadia looked at the crowds of costumes cheering throughout the park surrounding them. They were all caught up in some kind of weird spell that this was okay, whatever they planned to do. The sorcerer Mickey Mouse suit clicked his tongue. You know, you look way too stringy and, I don't know, too chewy for our sacrifice today. Bolivar needs someone who will go down smoothly. The sorcerer Mickey Mouse pushed Nadia aside and poked and prodded Teresa before moving on to Kayla. He pinched Kayla's stringy arm and clicked his tongue while shaking his head. He didn't even bother looking at Gruff due to him being more bone and skin than muscle. Ah, perfect candidate. Everyone turned and looked at Virginia Reeves as the sorcerer Mickey took her by the wrist to the cliff ledge. What's happening? Virginia asked. He positioned her directly on the cliff ledge with the toes of her boots hanging off the orange stone. Don't do this, Nadia warned. It's already been set in motion. It's already done, the sorcerer Mickey Mouse said. I declare today's sacrifice found and executed. He was about to push her off when Gruff stepped forward. You forgot one thing, he said. He had been sitting in the back seat for all of this time, enjoying the high and being cool but sometimes a person needs to stand up even if he doesn't know how. Everyone went quiet, waiting for Gruff to finish his statement. The rules clearly state that a sacrifice is absolute unless... He waited for shock value as all eyes were fixed upon Gruff. He didn't know what else to say. He didn't even understand why he said anything. Somebody else is willing to challenge the scary Mickey Mouse guy to a car race. He threw up his hands. What? The sorcerer Mickey Mouse asked. You heard me, scary Mickey Mouse and the suit guy. Car race. And if we win, you let us all go. He clapped his hands together foolishly. I, uh, are you sure about that? The sorcerer Mickey Mouse suit asked through the loudspeaker. Intriguing, intriguing. I did not know that the rule stated that a sacrifice could be voided in place of a car race. Of my choosing, of course. I am the leader of the park, and that means I get to choose... Without warning, he turned and shoved Virginia Reeves with both big white gloves. No! Nadia yelled as Virginia gave a yelp. She pinwheeled through the air and splashed into the murky green water far below. Teresa swore as the creature from earlier churned through the water toward where Virginia had fallen. She swam to the water's surface and took a deep breath of air. She started trying to swim for the wall of the river before she was sucked down into the depths of the cloudy green moat of sludge that traveled throughout the park. All the costumes yelled and cheered as a sickening cloud of bubbling red swirled to the water's green surface. It had all happened so quickly. Kayla fell to her knees next to Nadia. Tears rolled down her cheeks as she sobbed uncontrollably. They had been the closest out of the three of them, sharing classes together over the years. There, there, the sorcerer Mickey Mouse suit patted Kayla's back. No need to be sad. After all, we have a challenger for the speedway. Nadia stepped toward the suit as a Minnie Mouse-suited guard that had been watching them aimed her pistol at Nadia. I'll challenge you, Nadia said, and if we win, you let us go. And if I win, he asked. I'll willingly be tomorrow's sacrifice, Nadia answered. I do get to choose who I race, he shrugged. You choose me, Nadia stated. And I choose you, he laughed nervously. I tried, Gruff whispered to Teresa. I know, she said quietly. 10. Nadia When Nadia pictured Gruff's proposed car race, she had expected it to be around the roads of the park. She wasn't expecting the race to be on the rickety makeshift track that had been built from the junk around the Magic Kingdom theme park after the big day. 
Nadia's hands were untied as she followed the suits out of the park to what had once been the parking lot to the southeast of the kingdom. Now, the parking lot was a junkyard. Hundreds of gearhead Morlocks had been rounded up to piece together parts from old cars lying around the junk. They didn't know how or why their creations worked, but if you put gasoline in the gas tank and the right oil provided into the engine, the damn things ran. All kinds of outlandish concoctions lined the faded white parking spaces. Some of the inventions were huge, others were small and seemed to have no function other than to turn off and on. The actual raceable cars were lined up at the back of the lot where Nadia was taken. All of the cars had been disassembled and reconstructed from the Tomorrowland Speedway vehicles to be bigger and more awesome, also drivable without a motorized track. You know, a familiar voice said from behind Nadia, we don't usually let outsiders race with us. Consider yourself lucky, a bald man in leather suspenders greeted her. He had tattoos up his arms and on his chest. They looked like the mechanical inner workings of tubes and car engines that continuously overlapped over his upper torso. And you are? Nadia asked. We've met already. I'm Royal Mickey, he said. That's not Royal Mickey, Nadia corrected. It's the Mickey from The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Probably not Mickey's finest moment, although I always love the Fantasia film. Whatever. Name's Jake Brody. Hope you didn't take it too personally, but I gotta sacrifice someone to keep the Morlocks happy each day. They get crazy if they don't see some action, and nothing makes them happier than watching people disappear with Bolivar's help. They worship that big snake like it's a god. Nadia stepped close to Jake so that he stepped back. The mini mouse suit had followed them. She put her gun to Nadia, but Jake held up a hand. You have no idea what you've done in sacrificing that girl. You have single-handedly destroyed the last line of leaders who were this close to restoring the United States to its former glory. This close. Nadia held up two fingers an inch apart. It's all over now. We don't even have someone to fight for anymore. I didn't mean to upset your little band of misfits, so do me one big favor, Jake said as he put a cigar into his mouth before striking a match with his thumb and forefinger to light the cigar tip. We love racing more than anything else. Give these guys a nice show, trade over that AR-15, the ammo, and whatever huffers you guys got, and we'll call it even. There's a huge stash of inhalants in my sister's bag. You can have all of it if you want, but I'm keeping the AR-15 with the ammunition and the black bag that belonged to my father. Girl, you drive a hard bargain, Jake gave her a toothless grin. It's hard to say no to that kind of confidence. The race and the inhalants and you're free to go. I'll even throw in the terminal key so you guys can power up the train again. See how nice I am? The two shook hands. Jake went to let go, but Nadia pulled him close. I will kill you and your goons if you hurt my sisters. Nadia got in the red Corvette Stingray-style car with exhaust tubes twisting and curling throughout the interior and exterior of the Frankenstein vehicle. There was no back seat or trunk. It was all metal and engine. Jake leaned over the rim of the window as she tried to figure out how to turn it on. Flip those three switches over there, he said. She did, and the car exploded to life choking and filling the area with gas fumes. It immediately rumbled to a halt and died. Whoo-wee, this'll be fun. Try not to die out there. He clapped a hand on the door and got in a 1970s flame-painted boss-body-style Ford Mustang car that looked like the real vehicle. That's not fair, Nadia scoffed. What's not fair? He asked over the roar of the engine. Just get through three rounds without dying and you and your buddies are home free. See you on the track. He gunned the Mustang forward as Nadia struggled to figure out how to get the thing to turn back on. Oh jeez, it's a freaking manual. She fumbled with the clutch and the stick. She'd driven a motorcycle a thousand times, but old school manual transmissions weren't even made past 2144 AD in the US. 
She pushed the awkwardly long clutch in with her left boot and flipped the switches off and on as the car finally growled to life. There we go. She revved the engine loudly before letting off the clutch. The car jolted forward, squealing the tires as she shifted to second gear. The car rolled uncomfortably fast through the park streets as the Morlocks and Disney costumes cheered and waved at her. Three other drivers got into crazy-looking cars and followed her out of the parking lot into the theme park. Nadia went to third gear and got the car speeding toward Jake's rear as he rolled toward Space Mountain. She followed Jake up and over a ramp that fed their path to the Tomorrowland Speedway. Thousands of rubber marks covered the roads. Busted car parts and tiny mechanical pieces littered the field between the old speedway's course. Five people pulled up in a drag line to the starting point of what was once the Tomorrowland Speedway. Everyone was revving their engines while trying to intimidate one another. In the beginning, Nadia thought these guys would be skillful and maybe dangerous contenders to watch out for, but it quickly became clear that they were their own biggest hazard 90% of the time. Jake was the exception. He knew how to drive that car, and he knew every inch of this track that he had built himself. Nadia revved the engine by putting in the gas without letting off the clutch as a red light dropped over the front line ahead of them. It blinked three times before turning green. She let off the clutch and slammed the gas to the floor. Everyone else peeled out and fired forward. The stingray sputtered and lurched to a pathetic halt. Damn it, come on! She put in the clutch and flipped the switches. It didn't come back on. Come on! Nadia slammed a fist into the dashboard. The stingray lit up like a Christmas tree, firing up the track as she seesawed the gas and clutch between gears. Actual flames and burning rubber scarred the track behind her as she slipped between a gray toaster car and a sky-blue VW monstrosity that took up two lanes. She rode up the slapdash speedway, seeing Jake way ahead and curving around the barnstormer ride on their left. The road was designed to force the driver to accelerate uncomfortably fast around the edge of the park or else they'd slide off into the field as hundreds of defeated cars below could testify. Nadia's stingray hugged the curve and maintained a slipstream speed that kept her clinging to the inside track behind a red Subaru WRX and a gray Mazda RX-8. The WRX rammed the Mazda before they could get around the curve, sending the heavily modified RX-8 cartwheeling toward the junk heap of cars below. The speedway carried them over the sticks of what had once been the woodland to the north of the kingdom. It was only about 11 in the morning, so Nadia was able to see pretty far over the landscape, enough to see a scarred and broken countryside that had not even come close to recovering from the damage it had sustained from the big day. The track was suspended over a metal, wallless path that led to the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad where they had been earlier. Nadia pulled up alongside the WRX that sped faster to prevent the other driver from passing. Nadia's speedometer was bogus, but it said she was going 95 miles per hour before she instinctively tapped the brake. It was a soft tap, not enough to make her peel out, but enough for her to get out of the way as the WRX cut to ram her off the road. Instead, the Subaru overcompensated, the driver expecting to hit someone and meet resistance, before driving itself right off the side. Nadia made a beeline for Jake as the track descended past the enchanted tiki room and charged over the front entrance to the park next to the main street station. She had the gas pedal to the floor as they came back around for lap two, but Jake's Mustang was crazy fast. He maintained his lead as they curved back around the north side of the park, pulling farther away. She cut a few corners and gained a little footing during the straightaway before slowing down on the descent past the mountain. Something about the Stingray's tires had rumbled on that part during the first lap. That gave Nadia an idea. She drew the Beretta 92FS from her hip, flicked the safety off, and laid it across her lap as she maneuvered the vehicle through the speedway for the third and final lap. Nadia didn't know why she wanted to win. The way Jake had pushed Virginia made Nadia angry. 
she gripped the steering wheel tightly as blood-red murder filled her veins. They fell into motion with Jake holding the lead around the curve. The moment the curve ended, Nadia cut the corner and accelerated as she readied the pistol. It was the only thing her vehicle could do better than his, take and cut curves. It was on the straightaways that he smoked her. She raised the long-barreled Beretta and poked it out the window. She lined up the nozzle with Jake's car. She pulled the trigger three times, seeing sparks but not knowing if they hit. He weaved back and forth and slowed down, causing Nadia to drop the pistol and put both hands on the wheel. The two of them were on the track without walls as Nadia fired forward and slowed to Jake's side. He slammed into her. Nadia gritted her teeth and let the collision happen as it corrected his course. He could thank her later. She wanted to win, but she couldn't afford to get him killed. She caught his eye and saw sweat dripping down the side of his bald head. Nadia smirked as Jake kicked into gear and pulled away from her. She thought it was over, that she had thrown the game by preventing him from falling. Her aim turned out to be better than she figured. The Mustang began to smoke and warble as they started the descent to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. His tire finally blew and Nadia swerved past his attempt to block the road. It almost sent her squealing into a spiral, but she let the car's wheels catch up to themselves as she slowed to the finish line. Nadia immediately got out of the vehicle and ran as the smell of smoke and gasoline became too strong. It had been a wise decision as the stingray caught fire right there on the speedway while Morlocks and gearheads cheered from all over the walkways and stands. Someone drove Jake up in a refurbished golf cart to meet her at Anti-Gravity's Galactic Goodies. I'm a little pissed that you shot at me, but you saved my life, so I'm conflicted. Jake scratched his chin. Call it even? Nadia asked. He shrugged and withdrew a key from his pocket. It looked like one of the old tube keys for vending machines. This is the key to the booth. We jiggered the system to shut down the power to get outsiders here so we wouldn't have to sacrifice so many of our own guys to Bolivar every day. You know, Bolivar will be fine without your help, Nadia said. Tell that to the Morlocks who think the thing's good luck or something. Don't ask me, Jake said. You used to be military, didn't you? Why leave Ochre and teach all these guys how to build crazy cars? Nadia asked. Why not? I'm king of Disney World out here. Who wants to do a bunch of grunt work for the military for the rest of their life? Not me, Jake said. A moment later, Nadia's car exploded in a fireball of flames. A fair point, Nadia said as the Morlocks cheered and danced happily around the fire. 11. Kayla Come on, man, Gruff protested to Nadia, who was still inventorying her equipment to make sure nothing was stolen as they descended the steps to the subway station. Please let them give us just one inhaler and a couple of canisters? Just five? At least three? Teresa, if you would please get your boyfriend under control before I put him down, she glared at Gruff. God knows our party's gotten light enough. Nadia had given Kayla the key to the terminal booth. She opened it easily and slid the door open. Resetting the computer was simple enough. They were able to program the subway bullet train to continue its route to New York City without interruption. Thirty minutes later, and full of gator steaks that Jake had given them in exchange for the Huffers, the four of them were watching the tattered east coast of the United States pass under a beautiful blue afternoon sky from the privacy of different cars. The train sped along its course, gaining speed as the four of them watched in silence. When Nadia fell asleep, Kayla cried. She couldn't stop seeing the contrast of Virginia's red blood against the green moat of the water of the park. A person lives knowing they'll die one day, but most people don't expect it will be by being sacrificed to a giant snake so a bunch of hot rod gearheads won't tear each other apart. At least Virginia got to see Disney World before she died. It was better than being shot to death in the bathroom, which was likely how she would have gone 24 hours earlier if Kayla hadn't been there. Worse things can happen to a girl in a post-apocalyptic world with savages running through the streets. 
The idea that maybe being eaten by a snake wasn't so bad made Kayla smile in spite of her continuing tears. She looked out the window to see the sky growing overcast. It was a Friday. Somehow after all the years that had taken place on Earth and Mars, they were still able to pinpoint exactly what time it was. Her father used to know what time it was on Mars at any given moment. Had he made it? Maybe he just got captured and not killed. Why were they shooting people in ochre? Why was anyone shooting anyone when there were so few people left to shoot? Questions whirled through Kayla's mind as the bullet train carried them through the charred ruins of Charleston, North Carolina. They entered the empty countryside that was still stained yellow and brown from the dust storms past and present. Nadia snorted awake and sat up with the Beretta raised. She was breathing heavily. Damn it. She fell back against the subway wall and blinked. Need some water? Kayla offered. Sure. Nadia held out her hand. Kayla gave her a bottle of water they'd been given before they left Disney World. They were still sealed and packaged with the Disney logo printed on the label of each bottle. Jake had given them a full 12-pack in addition to the gator steaks and jerky. Apparently the inhalants were worth a lot in trade. Nadia finished drinking half the bottle and screwed the cap back on. How much longer to NYC? It was a 12-hour ride according to the terminal in the booth, Kayla said. That was about an hour ago. Nadia groaned. I thought I slept for longer. I better get out of this equipment if I'll be here for another 11 hours straight. She began taking off the combat uniform's upper torso. You never did explain the story behind that weird suit, said Kayla. It's complicated. Nadia pulled off the uniform top, allowing her long, sweaty brown hair to fall down her shoulders. She lifted her tank top and removed her wrap to reveal a purpling blister of a bruise circling her stomach and chest. A large outer circle of yellow made her entire chest feel tender. Damn, Kayla sat up. Are you okay? I'm fine, Nadia grunted as she peeled away the old wrap that had been stained with blood and put it in a brown sack that she'd brought with her in the ammo bag. She put on a fresh, self-adhering sport wrap and then took two Tylenol and two 500 milligrams clindamycin antibiotic capsules she brought with her from Dr. Gross's office. She finished drinking the rest of the water in the water bottle before crushing it and placing it in her bag. Did someone shoot you in the chest? Kayla asked. A little, but it's fine, Nadia said. A little? Kayla flared her eyes. You know, Virginia just died and you haven't said a word about it. What do you want me to say? Nadia glanced down the hall to make sure Gruff wasn't peering through the window, and then took off her tank top to put on a fresh white one. She dropped the dirty shirt she'd been wearing into the bag. We could die at any time. You might have radiation poisoning. Hell, we might all have radiation poisoning by now. We might die in two years. We might die in two hours. I have given up on everything and everyone since I watched the only man I chose get gunned down in his own store for absolutely no reason. It wasn't some guy I met at a bar, or some guy I got with because I was lonely one night. It was a man I chose to be the father of my future child. Holy crap, really? Kayla asked. Exactly 24 hours ago, Nadia said. The mission's over, sis. We lost. This isn't a last-ditch effort to save the United States of America. It's sending us away from a total defeat to tell anyone what happened to us and what culture we came from. The realization was a heavy blow to Kayla. Their entire world in Ochre had fallen. The entire infrastructure of military discipline they had followed since the Mars mission was gone like smoke in the wind. They had no goal or mission as their father had drilled into Nadia harder than the other two because there was no goal left to obtain. What do you do in the military when you're the only one in the military left? This concludes Episode 9 of the Apocalypse Theater Podcast. 
I don't remember if I mentioned that I wrote Beyond Ochre in its entirety for a 3D novel contest. It proved when it was written and continues to prove far more entertaining than I ever thought it would be for something written in such a short period of time. But then I have to admit that the idea of Beyond Ochre was not completed in three days. Originally, the story was supposed to detail a group of chemically dependent teenage kids, mostly boys, as they fled a disgusting city that was built in the aftermath of a nuclear event. That's the what-if proposal that most novels begin with before the actual story takes shape, but that idea had been floating around in the back of my head for years. I had tried to piece together plots with the hypothesis, but nothing stuck. The thing about me and writing is that often ideas hit me and they hang around, and then they go away. The good ideas don't go away, and they start to nag. This idea was nagging for quite some time, and in trying to compile a plot that could work, I found that what was missing from the initial idea were the characters. I fell in love with Nadia, Kayla, and Teresa during the writing process in a way that has never happened to me before. Forces far beyond my control shape the execution of the coming horrors these three will face. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast was written, read, and produced for you by Benjamin Allen. Please give us a good review and subscribe for more stories each month. If you'd like to support us, go purchase one of my audiobooks from Audible, or you can find the donations page on our website. Visit ekpublishingmedia.com for more information. That's ekpublishingmedia.com. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast is an EK Publishing Media production 2020.